Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. When COVID-19 hit, people all over the world were asked to stay at home in order to reduce the spread of the virus. For Catholics, this meant finding a new way of living our faith. Masses were canceled and in many places, churches closed, no longer open even for personal prayer. Across the world, Catholics had to learn what our faith teaches about self-isolation and solitude, about solidarity and caring for the needy, about caring for creation, and also finding new ways to share the good news. Needless to say, we had many questions about how to live our faith during these times. And who best to give us answers and help us strengthen our faith than our bishops? This week on a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour, we air excerpts of some conversations I had with several bishops over those months in early 2020. First, we will speak with Archbishop Murray Chatlin. He's the Archbishop of Kiwaitan Lepa, an archdiocese in Canada's north. He tells us how the crisis affected their communities. Afterwards, we hear from the Archbishop of Halifax, Anthony Mancini, who had to deal with not just the coronavirus, but also with the worst mass shooting in Canadian history. We then travel to the West Coast and speak with Archbishop Michael Miller of Vancouver. Vancouver was one of the first dioceses to resume Masses in Canada. And finally, we travel to Boston and speak with Auxiliary Bishop Robert Reed, who tells us what it's been like to run a TV network during the crisis. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org and to comment on what you hear or to ask me any question, just look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We now travel north to the Archdiocese of Kiwaitan Lepa and speak with Archbishop Murray Chatlin. Kiwaitan Lepa is an archdiocese of some 430,000 square kilometers that encompasses parts of northern Manitoba and Saskatchewan. In April 2020, I spoke with Archbishop Murray Chatlin about how certain restrictions affected the people there, about mass cancellations, Easter celebrations, and what we can learn from Indigenous leaders during this time. Here is an excerpt of that conversation. I think there's been growing pains for everyone, and we've never had to cope with this type of situation before. And so, yeah, it's been a bit of a learning process and, you know, we some trial and error. Yeah. Now, for th- for those of us here in the South um, that we're so, and I'm going to say this carefully, but I think we're a little spoiled. We get the Eucharist. I can get the Eucharist every day if I want to at any number of churches around here. Maybe in some of your communities, they do not have access to the Eucharist. Have you found the same kind of, uh, I'm not going to say complaints, but, you know, struggles with people uh, um Push, pushing back against this limitation about not being able to receive the Eucharist every Sunday? People have certainly been asking for it, but I, there's been generally an understanding that the reasons why there's concern. Okay. And so there hasn't been a super strong push, certainly in the, the last while. Uh, again, we um, are, I, what I notice is that people are saying things like, I kind of took for granted the be able, being able to gather for for mass i took for granted being able to receive communion i'm not going to take it for granted now and uh, so those kind of things maybe a bit of the positive side of this time of fasting yeah i think so i think we're finding that here as well and in fact i tell my parishioners think of the people in the north that don't have access to the eucharist all the time Um, so so in that sense i guess we're we're in some sort of communion with you uh together 
Um, I wanted to ask you about the Easter Vigil because I know in some places uh, we were actually told to not have the sacred fire, to not do the candle lighting. Obviously, in the, it was not open to parishioners, so if, if pastors were going to do it, they were going to do it on their own. You were able to live stream it from the cathedral. I don't know how many people were there, but you certainly had at least a cantor and some readers and, and some priests with you. But you you were able to do the sacred fire, and I really appreciated being able to watch it because we didn't have it. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a bit about that and, and, and how important that is for your community. Yes, uh, we, the Easter Vigil was able to have with seven people uh, that we did decide to have the sacred fire because it is such a powerful symbol in the north. Uh, often you need certain basic skills to survive. In the north, it's the ability to make fire any place, anywhere. As long as you're able to make a fire, you're going to be okay, no matter how cold a January day it is or how dark. So the fire symbol is just really important to us. It's mm -hmm. practical. So uh, the sacred fire of Easter is really strong for us. So mm -hmm. is holy water. Dagai Tue, it's called in Dene. Okay. But our people are very focused uh, on those um, tangible uh, pieces, expressions of our faith. Okay. And so we will often bless three large uh, barrels of holy water in a community and it'll be all gone. Right. So holy water is a very important piece. So this year we did it by <laughs> blessing the socially unjust individual bottles that were not uh, sort of able to be contaminated and uh, pass those out. So just meant uh, that our symbols that really mean things to us, um, that we can still find creative ways to have them there. Right. Um, I know that in communities like yours, you said that most of your, your parishioners are indigenous. Um, there's a great relationship between the Catholic Church and the indigenous communities, the indigenous leaders. There's a great sense of enculturation of the faith and I think that for, for some of us is, is difficult to understand, but I'm curious to know how, uh, what conversations you've been having with indigenous leaders and how they respond to a crisis like this that I would presume is very different than the way we would respond. Main challenge has been that our elders want to have services. Uh, and so it became sort of a support of the chief and councils in trying to respect the health authority in the area. Okay. And so it was just trying to work through some of that with the leadership. And again, our our leaders are facing this for the first time. So we just try to support each other. And we kept saying, respect the local health authority and the community leaders. Uh, you know, the, those are the ones we're working with. From a cultural point of view, uh, maybe the indigenous people that are not Christian, is there any difference in how they respond or how they would you know, what are they saying about what's happening in the world? They're always, you're wondering, why is this happening? Uh -huh. What is the creator trying to teach us through this? So those kind of questions I think we're all asking uh, to have a sense of uh, what is being graced through this difficult time. So. Right, yeah. And that, and that makes sense. I think a lot of people also have been seeing how this in a, ironic way is actually a good thing for the environment for for creation um, in terms of pollution and and, and other and consumerism even um, 
we we can't uh, you know and and we would say that god makes all things new and and we're always able to find good things out of uh not so great things that are happening i'm wondering where archbishop murray chatlin is is finding hope maybe there's a particular devotion or practice that you normally do or that you've started doing that's actually helping you feed your soul while you try your best to feed the souls of your congregation hmm. I don't know if others are experiencing that, but I'm definitely personally on a bit of a roller coaster in that mm. some days I get up and uh, I'm just frustrated. What am I supposed to do today? I normally have this, I look at my date book at all the things I had planned to go on. So there's part of me that's sort of got those frustrations and impatience. Plus we're living with the same people. There's five of us that live together in a uh, the bishop's house here and, and right. so great to have that community but like you know sometimes when you're living together for a while the blinking of the other person begins to get on your nerves so you know those things I experience right. at the same time I also see some of the blessings first don't mind that there's not as much meetings going on <laughs> so I'm happy uh, often that they're less yeah. so um, I do enjoy visiting our communities, so I, I do miss that, that mm -hmm. chance to, to be on, uh, in the communities and encounter our people. But, uh, but there is a chance for me to, uh, to sort of quieten down more, uh, to be a little more relaxed uh, uh, about the day in general. And uh, I find that's very helpful for me as kind of a bishop uh, moving around a lot often uh, trying to get things done so so personally it's a struggle but i can see that it, there's positives to it as well i think all of us are wondering how long oh lord how long does this go on right uh, but uh, patience is a very important gift i think we think of the desert fathers and you know, we're all called to be a little more of the desert fathers or mothers at this time. Right, right. Are you able to, I guess you're able to still go outside, go for walks and spend a lot of time in nature um, without being too close to other people. I suppose that's still okay for you to do, right? Yeah, I think that again, uh, with our people that if it's done safely to be mm -hmm. out on the land, to, to do some hunting and fishing and, and the things that are normal for our people to uh, feed their families and things that these things are still important to do in a safe way yeah you just made me think of one other practical question because you mentioned about feeding the families that you still i know that there's a lot of families that that hunt and fish but you still rely on groceries a lot of that that food comes from the south is it is that being have, have prices gone up is there a, a lack of supplies or is that a challenge that you're going through Please don't come north to try to get your toilet paper. Uh, we're still uh, in a similar situation to you. There, there is. Uh, I think they've made some real efforts to try to have as much uh, of the uh, support of food and other things as possible. Uh, and we haven't found it too dramatic yet. Uh, there's certainly some empty shelves at times and uh, and areas, but it it hasn't been where. We're, we're really um, uh, wondering what will be next week. Uh, so uh, there'd be some shortages, but uh, it hasn't been too bad. I think for our, our people, the country foods, they call it, uh, those are really important that uh, we still are eating the wild meat and fish. And, 
Thanks. I guess you're happy about gas prices going down for sure. <laughs> it is uh, a benefit there. What were we saying though, that my vehicle gets three weeks on a gallon of gas right now, because we're not driving anywhere. I so, know. Uh, uh, so, so that is one of the pluses. I know. Maybe just in closing, our Bishop, do you want to leave our viewers with your prayer for them, your, your hope for them? What, is, what do you pray for your people and for our viewers? What is your hope for them? I think that we definitely are keeping everybody in prayer, especially the tensions and things that sort of build our funerals, you know, the, the burials that are going on without a full funeral and grieving time. Those things are we're really lifting people up. I wanted to uh, just kind of share too that uh, we have had a lot of people come visit the North with youth groups and other things. Uh, obviously, that's not happening right now. Right. But just that that's something that, that's been a very positive our, for people in the South to experience a bit of our, in Canada, our very different culture. Yeah. So I just was going to quote from uh, one of the young men that came up to do a youth uh, visit. He says, the mission to Black Lake was a much needed excursion for me for my everyday life and took me out of the selfish bubble I had slowly been putting myself into. The Dene people have such beautiful faith and generosity, unlike anything I had been experiencing before. Meeting with the kids, playing volleyball, hockey, and other sports with them was a great experience just being with them. So many good conversations and interaction. Praying with one another and face-to-face -face youth group, encouraging personal prayer, was a big highlight for me in the trip. And I truly can say that although I came prepared to give, I receive much more. And I guess just that some of this movement, when we're able to move again, of visiting the North and mm -hmm. uh, communities uh, speaking of the North and the South, I think there's some real graces and benefits that can happen with that once we're sort of past uh, the quarantine. Yes, good. That's that's a good advice for for all of us, I'll take you up on that because I'm still waiting to go up and visit you. Um, okay. This is all over. I, I'm certainly be up there, but I'll come in the summer so we can go canoeing together. That, that sounds great. That was a conversation I had with Archbishop Murray Chatlin of Kiwaitan Lipa in the north of Canada as part of our TV series, Faith in a Time of Crisis. You can watch the whole interview at saltandlighttv.org slash faith in a time of crisis. I'm Deacon Pedro. Coming up, Archbishop Miller of Vancouver tells us how they figured out guidelines for resuming Mass. So stay tuned. As if dealing with the COVID-19 crisis was not enough, the deadliest shooting in Canadian history took place in Nova Scotia on the weekend of April 18th and 19th, in various locations not far from Halifax. There were 23 deaths in total, including the 22 victims and the shooter. That week, I spoke with Archbishop Anthony Mancini of Halifax, Yarmouth, about this tragedy in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Here is part of that conversation. This has been a, a very unusual and strange experience for all of us uh, to go through. Uh, no one ever imagined uh, that Nova Scotia would uh, would become a place where the largest mass killings of uh, 
individuals uh, would take place. Right. And, uh, and uh, certainly not in, in the small rural context in which it actually took place. It's actually, it's been, it's been mind boggling for all of us to say the right. least. Right. I think that uh, you're right. I think that by now, most of our viewers are, are very familiar that, as you said, the the deadliest uh, uh, shooting in Canadian history took place uh, in various locations, not too far away from where you, where you are right now in your archdiocese. Um, yeah. 23 deaths, including the 22 victims and the shooter. Um, can you tell us a little bit, Archbishop, what goes through your mind as you remember the, those events of two weeks ago? Well, I mean, uh, we f I first heard of what had happened on a Sunday afternoon, you know, mm -hmm. a Sunday afternoon after I had finished celebrating uh, Mass uh, in this new uh, online uh, fashion. Uh, and so I was sitting uh, at home quietly, and uh, suddenly this this comes upon me as, a, as news, and I thought, what? the hell is going on here? <laughs> you know, that's literally uh, uh, my first reaction because uh, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, and then it was very confusing because, uh, you know, uh, people, uh, people are being killed. Uh, then suddenly uh, there's questions about somebody who's, uh, who appears to be an RCMP officer, uh, a car that looks like an RCMP, a police car. So it was really a very, very, uh, initially very strange thing. Hard to believe that there was any kind of reality to it. But it, it soon hit home uh, that not only was this real, but this was uh, a growing uh, an unfolding story because uh, as as the police then began to explain what was going on, even the first uh, the first conferences were, were were minimal. We weren't we didn't seem to be get be getting very clear information. So uh, for for the first while, it was very very confusing and tremendously shocking and uh, with an impact of sadness on all of us, certainly on me. Right. Yeah. And I think confusing as, as well. Um, you, you mentioned that it was unexpected where it took place. What can you tell us about those communities where this event took place? Well, it's in, it's in the, uh, a rural part of Nova Scotia. It's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a, on, on your way uh, towards uh, going west in our archdiocese. It's uh, somewhere, uh, geographically, it's between Truro and Amherst, to mm -hmm. give a sense of uh, geography. And it's an area which uh, is, was originally uh, populated by, uh, by the Acadians, because it's, you know, you go up the Bay of Fundy, and this right. was a spot where, where the French settlers initially settled. That's why it has a French name, Portapic. Oh, way yes. Okay, right. Uh, and and so that area was initially populated by the first French uh, first French settlers and so forth. But then the nature of the community changed because uh, after 1750, when the British uh, uh, expelled the Acadians. Mm -hmm. uh, Many of the of those settlers were were sent elsewhere, or they went elsewhere, and so the population changed. 
And so that area has been largely populated by people of Scottish background. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it also explains why presently that area is mostly known to be uh, at least a Protestant connection. So there's, there, there's Anglicans, there's Baptists, there's you know, Presbyterians, that's right. Because I was going to ask you, I think a lot of us have this idea that Nova Scotia has very deep Catholic roots. Well, I mean, it has Catholic roots in the sense that uh, certainly the first settlers were uh, Catholic mm -hmm. because they, the ones who first arrived were from France. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, the, uh, at the moment, um, while the Catholic Church is uh, by itself, I suppose, the largest congregation or largest community of faith, uh, it is still not uh, uh, larger than the combined uh, non-Catholic uh, Protestant uh, families that make up the rest of the population. Right. Um, I think we also have a, 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 an idea, which I think is true, that, that Nova Scotians are, are very friendly. Uh, it's a very uh, a community that values family and, and gatherings. Uh, with the current restrictions, with social isolation and all of that, it makes everything that's happening uh, uh, slightly more difficult. Um, well, you're right. I mean, Nova Scotians have always been very, very uh, welcoming and kind. I mean, they're noted for their kitchen parties. Uh, right. And we're trying to do the best they can uh, to try to sort of uh, re, uh, represent uh, a kitchen party by using, you know, uh, the, these sources, these resources that we are presently using even as we converse. So yeah. there's lots of that expression. I mean, the last, uh, the last couple of days we've had, uh, you know, we've had vigils and we've had expressions uh, from right across the country of people who uh, have been uh, supportive of what's been going on and trying to find ways of helping, you know, stronger together. That sort of theme has been has been very, very, uh, very much on our minds in the last little while. So the, the population of Nova Scotia is is, uh, is very, very welcoming. And they, after all, they welcome an Italian archbishop in Halifax. So that's kind of that's not a bad thing, you know, not I think. Thing. Yes, very friendly and very welcoming. Um, no one, I think, I mean, you're you're an archbishop, you're a religious leader, I'm a, I'm a deacon. I mean, we don't look forward to moments of crisis, but in a way, this is, this is our job. Um, we look to be with the people. Uh, I think even before the tragedy of two weekends ago, Archbishop, you were probably thinking, how can I be with my people during this time of crisis? Um, how, what kind of adjustments did you have to make or, 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 or did you have to uh, come up with so that you could be, uh, do your job? Well, I mean, you know, it's hard to do your job in a world that's been turned upside down. Yes. I mean, being an archbishop, uh, you know, has, uh, there's a framework for that. There's a, there are parameters for that, uh, which we've been working with for hundreds of years. Suddenly the coronavirus has put us in a situation where none of us have ever experienced being in this kind of uh, environment ever before. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I, I'm, I'm very concerned about what this actually means for us as a church. I mean, uh, everyone is uh, anxious to get back to normal. 
uh, I keep asking myself, what's normal? And what are we getting back to? In fact, I'm not sure if we can speak in terms of going back to whatever we were before all of this occurred. I think the impact of this uh, worldwide crisis is that it's causing all of us to redefine ourselves as mm -hmm. Christians. It's causing us to redefine ourselves, frankly, as human beings. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as a church, um, you know, what does it mean to, to be the church? I mean, how many of us were touched by watching the Holy Father give uh, a blessing to the city of Rome and to the whole world in the dark uh, in an empty St. Peter's Square? Yes. I've been there a number of times. I've never seen St. Peter's Square empty. empty. Yes. Well, what is that actually saying to us as a church right now? Mm. I, I'm very concerned about that. So part of what's happening to me as a bishop and to all of us, I think, as Christians and as Catholics, is that we're struggling with whatever the Holy Spirit may be trying to speak to us at this time. Mm -hmm. I think that as a bishop, thanks to this, to this high-tech uh, equipment that we have, is actually forcing me to rediscover the power of the word. Right. Because that's all we've got right now. Mm -hmm. The power of the word. Yes, I say mass every morning and it's live streamed from our office. I have a little chapel here in the office building. And, and uh, this afternoon, as a matter of fact, we're going to be celebrating a funeral from that little chapel. Bishop, Archbishop Brown's okay. sister died uh, a few days ago. And he's yep. going to be presiding a funeral online. I mean, this is this is very very different. I mean, uh, who whoever thought of our whoever thought of himself as a bishop? I never certainly did think of myself right. as a televangelist. Right. No, and you would never have thought you never would have thought that you would have had to make the decision to close churches um, or to say that mass could not be held uh, for people who are not in Nova Scotia. Are those restrictions the same as other provinces in Canada in terms of the churches being closed? Yes, they are. Our churches are closed and we uh, we are not uh, we are restricted uh, to to gatherings no more than five people. So I've had questions, you know, raised like, uh, well, you know, how are we supposed to do a funeral? Or can we do a funeral? I said, well, you can. You can have you can have a liturgy of the word uh, and including whoever is the presider, whether priest or deacon. Uh, that's one person. Maybe you can bring together three others or four other people, and you can do an interment with, again, the social distancing required. Right. But, you know, that's very, very strange for, for Catholics and for Christians generally, because yeah. funerals are not for the dead. Funerals are for the living. <laughs> that was an excerpt of my conversation with Anthony Mancini, Archbishop of Halifax, Yarmouth. I'm Deacon Pedro, and you're listening to a special edition of the Sultanite Hour featuring conversations from our TV series, Faith in a Time of Crisis. You can watch all these interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash faithinatimeofcrisis. Coming up, Bishop Robert Reed of Boston offers hope for those who are missing the Eucharist. So don't go anywhere.
One of the first concerns at the beginning of the crisis was the closure of churches and the cancellation of public masses. Three months later, churches began reopening in some dioceses. One of these was Vancouver. In June, I spoke with Archbishop Michael Miller of Vancouver about it. Here is part of that conversation. Well, we certainly um, highly recommend, of course, receiving communion on the hand, which is by far the, the most common practice. And um, we rec- what's recommended is that the person, because there are six or two meter intervals, that when they approach the, the, the priest, that at the six, at the two meter limit, the priest will say the body of Christ, the person will answer amen and then come forward and receive so that there's right. no, they're so not they're breathing not on each other at the time right. of, uh, of reception of communion. Mm-hmm. A few places have, um, kind of plexiglass, you know, sort of a, a screen and the person would put their hands up kind of through the, a, a bottom hole, but, right. but not everyone does that. Oh, so, so some parishes in Vancouver have done that with the plexiglass. Yes, the cathedral, we have that. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, However, we put it on, not... a, on the communion rail because we have a communion rail yeah. and okay. just installed it and, and uh, people can use that either for the hands or there's one if, if one's receiving on the tongue. Okay, but receiving so you on the have, tongue, you have to sanitize after each, after each, after each communion, after each communion. Whereas on the hand, only if there, if you actually end up touching the the hand by by the right. Stake. So if there are, and I know in my parish, for example, I know I know I can tell you exactly who the parishioners are who who want to receive in the tongue, and I suppose right. that they could be instructed to go to uh, on a separate line to the same. Yeah, oh yes, and that's definitely a separate line. You and we also suggest. A younger, a younger priest or extraordinary minister or deacon. Right, right. But there's so no. Would you need... make that? Are you the young, and the younger Carl Pedro? Yeah, <laughs> not 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 so much anymore. Okay. Um, uh, but there's no requirement that the Eucharistic minister has to sanitize after each. No, after not each. after each. If it's on, if if, he, if there's no contact, there's no reason. You know, you can. When you put it on the hand, you kind of actually drop the hose. Right. I know but that there were some concerns. Then, then you do sanitize. Yeah. yeah. When uh, masses resumed in Italy, I know there was some concern because the Italian church uh, instructed priests to wear gloves while distributing communion. Can you explain a little bit about about the concern with that? I can't see any 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 particular reason for wearing gloves. I find, I think, touching the host with gloves, I find not the most desirable and un- unnecessary practice. Right. Yeah, I think so. And it's, it's just yeah. not necessary. We, we don't do it in, in public places. I was at the hospital yesterday and people are not wearing, are typically not wearing gloves, even in the hospital. Even to distribute communion in the uh, hospital? I don't think that they're doing, I think we, we, we very much discourage the wearing of gloves. Right. Actually, since you bring up the hospital, because a lot of the questions had to do with the sacrament of anointing, I mean, you have to touch the patient. With, 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 then you can you can wear you can wear you can wear gloves. Okay. For the, for the sacrament of anointing, in a way that you don't when you're used for confirmation or the post baptismal ordination. Yeah. And I guess, uh, and I and I, mean, I understand it. The priest cannot be wearing gloves during the time of consecration. Oh um, no, there's no there's. They say if if you're doing physical distancing, there's no reason for that. It's like you don't wear a mask. If you're yeah. six feet apart, but it's just nobody recommends that. That's right. Open. Okay. Are you suggesting that Eucharistic ministers or priests, while they're distributing communion, should be wearing yes. priests? 
we say it's advisable, but not necessary, but it is advisable and we're suggesting that communion therefore not be distributed after mass. Okay, can you explain that? How does that work? Well, it's because of the length of time that it takes for communion, you know, when okay. there's people are approaching it's at 60, and also that during the actual celebration of mass, it is, I think it's more fitting not to be using a mask, but afterwards, and you can take off your chasuble, um, right. which is also a further safeguard, and you can distribute Holy Communion just with an alb and a stole. Right. And, and, and there and, are norms know, in the... Nothing, and, and you're putting a table out, and it's just, it, it would, I think, unduly lengthen, and it's not necessary. You can distribute communion right after, at the end of Mass, you just exactly. go to the sacristy, take off your chasuble, and, um, you know, sanitize your hands again and, and go out. Right, exactly. And there are already norm, liturgical norms in place that allow for that. Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, wow, this is this is really, really interesting and really helpful. I, I presume that the rest of the country, as we phase in uh, opening of churches, here in Ontario, churches have been closed completely, even for personal prayer. I um, Yes, I, I don't know how a government can actually mandate that. I find that on the government's part, I mean you know to mandate it's one thing for the common good to join in an effort but to mandate yeah. the closing of a building boy that seems to me to be excessive i would have thought that they would say it would be a good idea if you did this and then people would and then leave it at the discretion would, would, yes and, and people i think you know we voluntarily comply to serve the common good if that was yeah. seemed to be necessary but um mm -hmm. i guess um, one, one thing that priests all over and bishops, I imagine yourself as well, have been discovering the art of live streaming mass. Oh, yes, we sure do. Um, there's, um, there are there are challenges there, but I, I presume that there's also have been great opportunities in terms of finding ways to preach the word. Right. Yeah, we we certainly do it. I've been live streaming. At the, I've never said so many masses in the cathedral uh, Sunday after Sunday. This is usually confirmation time, as you know, and um, it, it's it's. Uh, we're getting we're getting better at doing it. I think about more than I'd say about sixty percent of our parishes are live streaming masses on Sunday, yeah. at oh, least yeah. one mass, yeah. uh, and um, some have it you know very good. They haven't really worked out. Great cameras, terrific sound. Others, it's a little shakier, but people do like to see their own pastor, their own church. You know, that's I think that's a great consolation. Yeah, there is. Have you, you found can watch that? Light or you could watch Baron yeah, exactly. Pope. But yes. people like their own, you know, this is their space, their church, yeah. their community, their priest. It's and, true. It's true. Um, uh, have you found that as a as archbishop, you've had to to communicate more with the people, pastoral letters, uh, messages, maybe video well, Yeah, there's, um, yeah, there've been, I think there've been three kind of, interviews you know that have been videoed i certainly the um the mass of the cathedral there's you know several thousands always for, for that following that and we've just launched um a new website called behold okay. which we are adding to our proclaim website uh behold is it's a terrific um, tool for uh evangelization that mm -hmm. we launched uh, two days ago on pentecost sunday which is a new tool for uh, communicating with, with, with folks in the archdiocese. It's, it's called simply beholdvancouver.org. And it's a, 
it really it's it's worth worth taking a look at. Oh, good. Yeah, maybe not not just for people in the Archdiocese of Vancouver, but no, no, it has a lot of a lot of really good good material, and and we've had lots of um, our marriage prep, our new divorce and separated um, okay. Catholic. Um, they're all it's all online. We've had you know retreats online, talks online, and in to many of those, there've been far more people than we would have had in a parish hall or an auditorium. So. Mm-hmm. There are some people have learned a lot to, uh, about, you know, being online. It doesn't yeah. replace the real thing, but yeah. just like online giving is yeah. picked up. Thanks be to God. It is. I know that has been quite the learning curve for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, it's been a difficult, difficult couple months for, for a lot of people. How have you found that you, how have you been encouraging the people of the Archdiocese of Vancouver? I think well, we've been encouraging them to remain engaged with their with their parish. Um, that it, in many parishes there are, there are a lot of uh, online opportunities for learning, for outreach, for uh, gathering together. Things like Alpha Online, the CCO uh, Faith Studies Online, all of these are um, still going ahead. And so I think there are there have been many opportunities that people um, uh, take them. Um, mm-hmm. One of the yeah. bigger challenges has been schooling online. We have that's all in place, but you know, for many parents, that's been a challenge if they're at home trying to work and they have three or four children also needing computer time and so on. Yeah. Um, but there's been a lot of, I think, um, communication. Mm-hmm which keeps things going. I know that there's um, everybody though misses. I mean, we're sacramental people and everybody misses the real deal. Yeah, I know. I know. But at the same time, I think this has been, you know, a a kind of a desert experience where we've, we've, it's, I think it has been an opportunity for people to strengthen their faith. It it has. uh, And I think that there's been more quiet time, more prayer time, I think for a lot of people because they're, Social activities have been really cut to a cut to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Nobody was going out uh, much, and and so on. So it's it's been an opportunity, but mm-hmm. it's also been a, a challenge, particularly for people who are alone or confined, uh, were confined in a rather restricted space. Yeah. You know, a lot of apartment dwellers, and that's that that that's been a greater challenge. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, at the same time. Uh, Maybe someone like you has found that you're busier than you thought you would be. I am because I have the blessing of being able to come yeah. to an office every day, yeah, and um, have a be able to celebrate mass here in our chapel. Yeah, if I'd been stuck at home, I think I, it would have been much. I'd have found it mm-hmm. much tougher. But, yeah, but I have here the cathedral and home to go to. I haven't. I've only been to the grocery store once. So. <laughs> Yeah. So what what would you say maybe in closing uh what how does Michael Miller keep, you know, hope during this time? How do, what keeps you going? Well, I guess I never really thought that that that, that the situation was hopeless. <laughs> you know, the the, uh, the society and the church, I mean, we we've, we've had it pretty good uh for a long time and that, that there's a, a bit of um, you know, difficulty challenge at best suffering in our way. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of human life. That's part of, of, uh, of, um, 
I think that we should expect that, that everything was always going to be sort of on a upward trajectory. Somehow, I frankly never really believed that anyways. Yeah. So I never thought of this as hopeless. This is the time of, of, of trial, perhaps of purification at best, you know, if, if, if we can do that. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's hopeless. And yeah. That was an excerpt of a conversation I had with Archbishop Michael Miller of Vancouver. The interview was part of our TV series, Faith in a Time of Crisis. You can watch the whole interview at saltandlighttv.org slash faith in a time of crisis. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can let me know your thoughts via email, pedro at saltandlighttv.org, or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Bishop Robert Reed is the Auxiliary Bishop of Boston and also the President and CEO of the Catholic TV Network. In May 2020, we spoke about the situation in his archdiocese and what it was like to run a TV network during the crisis. We were almost made for this. Uh, Salt and Light, uh, the Catholic TV Network, uh, any, any of us who were in this business, if you will, uh, this is what we do. We provide for people who, uh, in many cases, are at home because of age or because of uh, uh, recovering from surgery or some other circumstance. Uh, we reach out to people who um, have been estranged from the life of the church for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And, and so this estrangement, this, uh, this staying at home, is now extended to a, a broad swath of people. And so we were made for this, and uh, it's been pretty exciting for us here at Catholic TV, as I'm sure it has been for all of you in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, to know that you're providing a service that really connects people to Christ and to the church in a time when it's difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. Have you found that, that it actually, I guess, opens up new opportunities that you didn't have before? It does. You know, we, we've uh, taken a look at what we do online uh, in terms of our website, uh, podcasting, uh, mm-hmm. the way that we produce the Mass and present the Mass for people, mm-hmm. uh, and the potential that Catholic TV has uh, to insert themselves into the lives of people and families who are, are struggling with this situation. And uh, unfortunately, as we discussed before we begin the interview, we don't have a full complement of staff online. Right. Most of our staff is is at home, working at home. So that makes a, a bit of a challenge, but it certainly does open up possibilities, not just for now, uh, but also to better utilize the technology and the tools that we have for the future, even post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Have you found, I guess, with every every situation that, that opens up opportunities, there's also challenges. What specific challenges have you found other than the one you just mentioned about staffing? Well, uh, it, it presents a financial challenge because we're right. finding that uh, our, the costs of um, providing our live stream uh, over the various platforms, mm-hmm. such as Roku and Apple TV and on our website, uh, Samsung Smart TVs, uh, Amazon Fire, all of that takes an enormous amount of bandwidth, mm-hmm. especially when something for us like the, the mass goes live in the morning. There are a lot of people watching, and the costs of streaming that mass are are, are pretty steep. Right. And so that's one challenge uh, that we faced. 
Uh, a second challenge is more internal. Uh, we're trying to keep our staff, those who are coming in uh, to, to man the station, we're trying to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And the priests who come in, our chapel is actually right behind me here. Our chapel mm-hmm. is, is in the building. And so the priests come to us. And so we want to keep everybody safe. So we disinfect uh, all the services in the building uh, after the morning mass and uh, in the morning uh, at the very beginning of the day before anybody comes in. Uh, because if we, we, the way we look at it is we get if one of our staff gets sick, yeah. uh, then we're all going to be in quarantine. And that's not mm-hmm. going to be very good for running a TV network. No, not at all. Um, and again, just so that we have a clear picture, you're doing daily mass, Sunday mass from the cathedral. There's also a Sunday Spanish mass. How many masses are you? These are your regular masses. You haven't added extra masses, have you? We have not. No. Well, occasionally. Like, for example, uh, this week the Cardinal is celebrating a special mass for high school graduates Oh, because it would be around this time next week that they would be having their baccalaureate mass and graduation. Mm-hmm. So um, he did that. He, uh, we, we did have one of the auxiliary bishops who was retired in Boston died. And, and around that same time, five priests died, uh, most of whom were elderly. And okay. so the Cardinal celebrated a memorial mass for them, which was then we broadcast uh, in that same day so that in particular the retired priests who are basically in lockdown are going to have a chance to say farewell and pray for these men. Yeah, wonderful. Um, are you finding that a lot of the programming that you're doing also had to be adjusted or that the that the content obviously is, is catered specifically to the crisis or do you find that you're able to continue with a lot of your regular programming? We're continuing with the regular programming, to be honest, with a few uh, mm-hmm. special uh, productions, for example, on Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, the, the second Sunday of Easter. Yeah. We had a, a live presentation from our chapel uh, to, to celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, which concluded uh, with exposition, benediction, and praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the month, we're having a memorial mass for all of the uh, victims of the COVID-19 virus who might okay. be related to or known by our viewers. Mm-hmm. So with, it, with those few exceptions, we're just doing our regular thing. We were built yeah. for this. Yeah, of course. And I know that you're, I mean, obviously you're on television and you're, you're very comfortable with that. Has Cardinal Sean O'Malley also uh, had the opportunity to, to use your services to speak to the Catholics in the Archdiocese to use you in that sense for any specific uh, message? Well, he's been celebrating the Sunday Mass actually every week uh, from the cathedral. From the cathedral. So that's one opportunity that he has to to preach Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, the people of the archdiocese. Uh, But also he's uh, taken the occasion to record a number of uh, personal messages to groups, one to the priests, one to the deacons, uh, one to men, men and women religious. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, uh, this special mass coming up next week, yeah. baccalaureate mass for high school seniors. Yeah, of course. Are you um, finding that the content that you've put on your social media platforms also has, has had to be adjusted, or are you doing more, or that it's different than what you're doing on television? It's certainly different. Uh, it's trying to, I think, those who are in charge of that, because that, that's all beyond me. <laughs> I'm getting too old yeah. for social media, but I suppose no one in these days is too old for social media. No. Uh, but uh, I think we're being more effective mm-hmm. uh, in and in, in intentional in the use of our social media uh, to, to bring people 
uh, to see the wealth of programming that we have, some of which comes from Salt and Light in Toronto, by the way. Yes. Uh, to, so that people can, you know, when they run out of other things to watch on Netflix, they can watch something that infuses life into their soul. Yeah, I guess it's, it is a time where a lot of people, uh, people that maybe are not people of faith, but are finding that they're asking questions and are, are needing some guidance. So maybe it's an opportunity to reach a different audience during this time. Without a doubt. Yeah. There's a lot of people looking and watching. Yeah. What sorts of message or what would be your message that you have expressed already or maybe that you, you want to express to encourage the Catholics in the Archdiocese of Boston during this time? Well, we know in, in the history of the human family and in the history of the church, there have been uh, moments like this, moments of health crisis, uh, pandemics, epidemics, plagues. And through it all, like in every crisis in our lives, we know that Jesus is with us. His, his final promise is true. I am with you always until the end of the age. And we believe that firmly. Uh, it, it can be challenging to remember that, particularly when, uh, as a faithful Catholic, you cannot receive the sacraments, particularly mm -hmm. receive uh, Jesus' body and blood and the Holy Eucharist, that you can only make a spiritual communion. Uh, but we know that, that God will see us through this and that Jesus remains with us and that the Holy Spirit is obviously working very uh, effectively among the members of the church and using people's creative minds uh, to, to find a way to keep up the life of the church, uh, particularly domestically, like in your home with your family. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is motivating that and helping us. So we're going to get through this. I know we are. I have a great sense of confidence. I will admit to people, I wake up in the morning a little down. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me sometimes to get up in the morning and get going. Uh, but once I do, I'm reminded in my prayer and in my private celebration of Mass that Jesus truly is with us. He is with me. He's mm -hmm. with those who I serve. And we will be back in church again uh, sometime down the line, hopefully yeah. sooner rather than later. And... Yeah. Uh, we're going to get through this, and and he is with us, and that's that's yeah. I think that's my message, simply put. Yeah, that's a, uh, important to hear. I I heard this morning someone say to me that she had heard that a sister in prayer before they closed the churches was in prayer praying, asking God to not close the churches, to not cancel mass, and she heard in her heart God saying, "Yeah, but I want to have some time alone with my priests," and it made me think that. Because you as well, and I've privileged because I am able to celebrate Mass and receive communion uh, at least once a week in my parish as we live stream Mass for our parishioners. And I know that that's the case for you and for most priests. You're, we're not being deprived from the sacraments. No, no. Um, how, how, how do you think that we can encourage Catholics who feel hurt or angry about that um, other than saying, you know, I mean, other than teaching them, um, are you finding that that we're developing a, a different awareness of the sacrament because of this? Well, hopefully we're developing a hunger mm -hmm. uh, for the Eucharist in particular, but also for the grace that the sacraments afford us. Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though, like yourself, I have not been deprived uh, of particularly the Eucharist, yeah. When I receive Jesus in Holy Communion, I receive him 
for those I serve, for the people in my two parishes, for the people in my region, for the people in the Capuchini family, with the hope that they will not give up hope. Mm-hmm. And I understand that you know people are not happy about this, particularly those who are very devout and uh, very hungry uh, for the Lord's presence through the church in our uh, regular participants in weekly and um, also daily mass. Uh, mm-hmm. But the time is going to come when we can uh, come back to the altar. And th- those days are, are coming closer and closer. Certainly. So I'm not too worried. Yeah. How do you think that this crisis is going to change the church? Do you think it's going to force the church to redirect their her efforts in how we reach the, the people, maybe? You know, it, it's hard to tell right now. There are so many questions about what we're gonna what we're gonna look like in two months, in six months, in a year. Mm-hmm. But certainly, we will have developed a greater sense and appreciation of these tools of of the internet itself and of the technology yeah. that is at our fingertips. You know, every parish perhaps needs to be a little TV station, yeah. a little TV network, or at least a network, not yeah. just television, but uh, using ways like, you know, in my parish, we have a on Saturday mornings a, a virtual prayer group that uses Zoom, one of the many tools that's available to us. Uh, yeah. I see priests who are uh, praying online and, and uh, having conversations online and cooking online and singing online. And there are so many ways that we can connect with people beyond Sunday Mass and mm-hmm. the other occasions that a, a parish would gather folks together. And so I think we're going to be using these tools and using the technology a lot more. And hopefully that will re-enliven the, the faith of people and also uh, perhaps uh, be a way to evangelize that's more effective than what we were doing before. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, maybe just in closing, um, since we're, this program is about finding faith in a time of crisis, but also finding hope, um, where does Bishop Robert Reed find his hope during this time? Well, I I have a great devotion to the Eucharist, and um, we have in my parish, at least before the crisis, we have perpetual adoration in a very beautiful chapel that's attached to one of the parish churches where I serve Blessed Sacrament, appropriately mm-hmm. so, uh, sitting in the Lord's presence, uh, coming to him with my my sinfulness and asking to restore the friendship that I have with him through the sacrament of penance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in these ways, just being with him as a friend, uh, that I find hope and the courage to move on. Because I, as I mentioned a few moments ago, it's difficult for me. It's difficult for all of us, those of us who serve the church uh, in, a, in a kind of official capacity uh, to face these challenges, too. Uh, but again, I'm convinced that Jesus is with us. Not am I convinced. I'm absolutely positive. Yes. I feel it, his friendship. And he is my only hope. He is our only hope. That's the motto I chose when I was named a bishop. Jesus sola nobis spes. He is our Amen. only hope in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a marriage. And so yes. that's all I can say, Jesus. That was part of my conversation with Auxiliary Bishop Robert Reed of Boston. He is also the president and CEO of the Catholic TV Network. And that brings us to the end of our program today. You've been listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour featuring conversations from the Salt and Light TV series, Faith in a Time of Crisis. You can watch all those interviews in full at saltandlighttv.org slash faith in a time of crisis. 
Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org, and remember that you can also podcast The Salt and Light Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Send comments, feedback, or questions to me via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. It's really easy. Just look for Deacon Pedro. There's only one of me. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and I hope that you continue strengthening your faith during all times of crisis.